If you'll turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, is where we find ourselves this morning. As you turn there, I want to ask you a question. Are you a person of faith? Are you a person of faith? Would you characterize yourself in that way? Would you say that I live by faith? Would, would you say that I am one who, who lives by faith? Or would it be more accurate to say I was saved by faith, but now I'm just walking by sight? Are you a person of faith? Perhaps some of you would answer, no, I'm not a person of faith. I, I don't base my life on that. I'm a person of, of science or I'm a person of philosophy. I don't base anything on faith. The, the reality is Christians are people of faith. Faith is central to our lives. It, it's at the core of who we are. And it's not a blind faith at all. It's not as though we just blindly say, oh, we're just going to trust this kind of pie in the sky. But it is faith nonetheless. And the question might be asked then, what gives us confidence to have faith in God? What gives you the confidence to be a person of faith? What gives you the confidence to trust the God of the Bible? To say that I am a Christian, that I live by faith alone in Christ alone. What gives you that confidence? What causes you to say that? Well, I, I would say that we certainly as Christians would say that, that God has revealed himself. And in particular, more specifically, he's, he's revealed himself through his creation. He's revealed himself through his word. He's revealed himself most supremely through his son. And so we look as Christians, we look at how God has revealed himself and we step back and we see the evidence before us and we exert faith in God. We respond to God's revelation of himself through creation, through his word, through his son. We respond in faith in Christ trusting him we look to him we trust him knowing that he has made known to us who we are as a man who we are who we truly are as sinful men he's made known to us and revealed who he is very specifically he's revealed to us that he is the one true god that he is the savior he's revealed to us our greatest problem our greatest need and he's revealed to us his perfect gracious loving merciful just solution to be found in Christ and in Christ alone and because of that as Christians we've responded in faith we've responded by trusting God to do what God said he would do we've responded by trusting in Christ to save us as he has promised to do not on the basis of our works, not on the basis of our abilities, not on the basis of our heritage, our background, but on the basis of the work of Christ on the cross and the shed blood of Christ for our sins. We trust 
in Him. We respond in faith. But there's some sitting here this morning who would say, I'm not a person of faith. And I just can't see myself ever being at a point where I would say, I live by faith, that, that I'm just a person of faith. I, I, I instead am, am going to trust in my own works, my own abilities. I'm going to trust in the, the philosophies of, of man. I'm going to trust in the teachings of man. I'm going to trust in science and what it teaches me. Perhaps you would say, I'm my own God, as one gentleman told Debbie on her mission trip. And Debbie aptly responded, how's that working out for you? <laughs> Is that who you are? Would you be the one who would say, I'm not a person of faith. I, I would respond to you by saying, if that is you, that you need to realize that you are indeed living by faith. You may think that you don't. You may think that, oh, Christians are people of faith, but I'm not a person of faith. But the reality is, is you're living by faith too. You see, you're living by faith because there is no empirical evidence for beginnings if we just start there. There's just not, and there will not be. And so you have to exert trust and faith in scientists who would say, well, this is how it happened, and this is what we think. Here's our theories. So you're exerting trust in the theories of man, theories based on science that I would contend to you that if you would look at it, violate science itself that violate the laws of thermodynamics. If you just start there, go home and we're not going to do that this morning, but just go home and look at the laws of thermodynamics and answer how in the world evolution could begin all there is. It violates science itself. So you are trusting in, you're placing faith in the ideas of man, the interpretation of men. We all have the same body of evidence in front of us. We all live by faith. What I would put before you, unbeliever, if you say, well, I live, I'm, I'm not living by faith, I'm living in these things and science, is, is, is I would just ask you, are you really confident trusting the theories of man that shift and change constantly? That are constantly moved? It's like the old Peanuts cartoon. You guys that used to watch Peanuts, you watched the cartoons or you saw it in the, the newspaper when we used to get newspapers that had the comic section, right? What happened? Lucy would hold the football, right? He would hold it or she would hold it and, and what would happen? Charlie Brown would come running down and he's going to kick the football. What Lucy do every time? Move the football, right? And Charlie and flip over and land on his head. Every time, Lucy just keeps moving the football. That's the same thing you're doing. You're trusting in the ideas of man that just keeps on getting shifted and moved on you. There is no stable ground. The passage we find ourselves in this morning in Matthew chapter 14 has aptly been called an object lesson of faith. A, a demonstration of what it looks like to exert faith in Christ given for our building up and our instruction, our edification. It is not a demonstration of faith in general, of just, just general faith to anything, in anything, in anyone. It is specifically an example of faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so as we look at this, I want to kind of push on you, unbeliever, to, to urge you to consider this one that we see in this account and his worthiness of your trust and your faith. And believers, I would urge you as we walk through it to consider that question of, I, okay, I've, I've trusted Christ in faith for salvation. Am I now living by faith as I carry out my life? Am I walking by faith? So I want to think about those two questions as we walk through this passage. Let's read and hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22 this morning. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, between 3 and 6 a.m. most likely, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, is, is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when the disciples say this, this is the only time in the Gospel of Matthew that the disciples call him that. Truly, you are the Son of God. They respond in faith. It's a beautiful picture that we have here. We know that the preceding passages we read and the rejection of Christ there in the end of chapter 13 and chapter 14, the death of John the Baptist. And last week, Pastor Bill led you through the, the passage where Jesus feeds the 5,000. The disciples had seen the power of God. They had seen the power of Christ. They had seen great miracles in these passages and in the preceding passages, all that Matthew has taken us through. They had seen the great works of the Lord. And now, they get into the boat to go to the other side, and they get into the boat by Jesus compelling there. If you note in verse 22, it says immediately he made the disciples, or he compelled the disciples. He pushed them onto the boat, essentially. We don't know exactly why. Matthew doesn't tell us why. It's, it's very likely, if you just write down as a cross-reference, John 6, 15, John tells us that after the feeding of the 5,000, that, that Jesus understood that the people wanted to take him by force and make him to be king, right? For the wrong reasons. And so it's, it's presumed here, since Matthew is telling the same story there that, that John told and of, of what happened there, the feeding of the 5,000, and then him sending the disciples out upon the sea where he would then walk to them on the, on the water, 
that he's compelling them, perhaps to get them away from the situation where they would not be deceived and brought into this idea that we need to elevate him to be a political king. We need to put him as the king of the Jews on earth. He had greater and grander intentions there. In verse 24, we see that as they depart and they go across the ocean, what are we, what are we told? That the boat was beaten by strong wind. The sea was rough. The waves were, were deep. They were, they were hitting hard and striking fear into the disciples. In verse 25, we read what? That in the midst of the strong wind, in the midst of the, the waves that are pushing back on the boat and making it difficult for them to get across the sea, Jesus comes walking on the sea. It's a display of what? It's a display of His power over creation. They have seen it. You remember Matthew 8? The calming of the storm. You remember that passage? We've, we've been there where the disciples are fearful over the storm. A great storm comes up and Jesus rebukes creation, rebukes the storm, and the storm settles and he calms it. They had seen this. They knew about it. Now he comes and he displays his power by in the midst of the great winds walking across the water. You who are in small groups in Sunday school, in, in the adult Sunday school, you're studying Colossians, and Colossians 1, 16 and 17 tells us what about creation? It was created by Him, for Him, through Him. All of creation functions for Him. Is it then too much to understand and too much to see that in this moment He walks across what He created? That in this moment, the, the sea and the shifting waves provide stable ground for their Creator to walk upon. They provide the ground for Him to walk to His disciples because He reigns over them and they exist by His power and they exist for His glory. And so He walks across them to the disciples. Now, the remainder of the passage, we're going to see four things, four truths about faith that we need to consider this morning. Four truths about faith. What we see first is this, is that Jesus is worthy of our faith. Jesus is worthy of our faith. Unbeliever, you're sitting here and you're considering this idea of what does it mean to live as a person of faith? Is what I'm placing my faith in adequate? Will it really be worthy, I guess you should say, of my faith? Or am I putting my confidence, my faith, in something that's going to entirely let me down? So the question, that I think, or the thing you must consider here, is this, is that the testimony of Matthew and the other disciples is a testimony of Jesus doing something absolutely miraculous. The testimony of Him walking on water. It's a testimony that's found in Mark 6, 45-52. It's found again in John 6, 16-21. And it's witnessed by those around him, those in the boat. And it's testified here that Jesus walked on water. This shouldn't be just shrugged off. The claim is not that, that Jesus walked in ankle-deep water and it looked like he was walking on water. That's not the claim. It would be really hard for Peter to sink in ankle-deep water, right? It would be tough, okay? So Jesus is not just walking along the shore and they think, oh, well, we think that's Jesus walking on water. No, he, they are in the middle of the sea. He is walking on water. You can't come to this passage and try to explain away the miraculous. You can't try to push it aside and say, you know what? This isn't, this isn't miraculous. 
No, you can't do that. This is not a parable. This is not a legend. This is not a tall tale. This is a real account with real people, with real water, a real situation. And so when you come to this text, unbeliever, you come to the text confronted with evidence that demands that you make a verdict, evidence that demands a verdict, evidence that demands that you respond and you either reject Jesus or not. He is either God and doing miraculous things or he's not. You don't explain away the passage and go, oh, well, this is something, some kind of, this is some kind of illusion or, or this, is, this can be explained naturally, so I'm going to just figure out how this could have happened naturally. There's nothing in the text, nothing that would lead you to do that. Nothing. If you're doing that, you're forcing your interpretation and your opinions on the text. We can't do that. The text is the text. It's the truth of God's Word. And you can either reject it, or you can confess faith in Christ, knowing that He is the Son of God who does great and mighty things. Listen, we would testify to you, unbeliever, that Jesus is the Son of God, and He does miraculous things. He is not confined to what we are able to explain. He is God, and He is able to do miraculous, supernatural things. And here we have testimony that He is doing these things. Why? Why is He able? How can He do this? Well, He's the Son of God. He created all that exists, right? He created all that exists, and He rules over all that exists. He is able. He is God. The testimony is not that he was a great teacher, that he was a man, a really smart man, a really wise man, a a really crafty man. No, the testimony of Scripture is that he is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. The friend we met in Quebec City said, oh, we we all worship the same God. We believe as as Muslims that that he is, uh, he's a good prophet. We believe in Jesus too. No. You believe in a different Jesus than we do. Because the testimony of Scripture is not that he was just a great prophet. The testimony of Scripture is that he is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He is able to do great and mighty things. So the one who calmed the storm now walks on the sea in the middle of the storm. So the question is, unbeliever, will you respond in faith? Will you behold God's revelation of himself in all creation? Would you see the complexity of the eye or the miracle of your blood clotting? Would you see God displayed in the intricacies of your own body? Would you see his magnificence in creation? Would you see and look and behold the stars at night and see the enormity of the universe? See how small we are. And see his glory proclaimed. Would you see the revelation of himself in Scripture that he has made known himself to man? What I talked about with a young lady who says, I'm agnostic. And, and, and I said, here's the thing. You need to understand that God is there. You're confessing and saying, yeah, God's there. I just don't, don't know. But the teaching and the beauty of Scripture is that God has made himself known. He has revealed himself there. He is not silent. So would you look and would you read and behold the testimony of Scripture? 
Would you look, unbeliever, and read and look at the evidence before you in all of creation in the revealed Word of God? Would you look and behold the life of Christ as we go through Matthew? Would you read Matthew? Would you read Mark? Would you read Luke? Would you read John? Just read the life of Christ and look at the evidence before you and respond in faith. I'm not calling you to have some kind of blind, willy-nilly, all, let's just have faith. I'm urging you, unbeliever, to have faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the faith that was described in our passage that we meditated on in Hebrews 11.1, 1, the faith that is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's the confidence. It's confident faith. Why is it confident faith? It's because it's based on the revelation of God to man. It's based on the fact that he has made himself known through his word and through his son. Would you have faith? Jesus is worthy of your faith. The second truth we see is that fear flees in the presence of Christ. So we have this relationship here that we'll look at between fear and faith. And we think about the faith that's exerted by Peter. We see that fear flees in the presence of Christ. In 14.26, what do we see there? 14.26, the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were terrified. They were terrified. They said, it's a, it's a ghost. They saw him walking on the sea, and they're terrified. Now, take note here. In, in, John, in Matthew 8, what were they afraid of? They were afraid of the storm. Here, what are they afraid of? They're not afraid of the storm. It doesn't say they're afraid of the wind. It doesn't say they're afraid of the, the, the waves here. No, they behold Christ and they are terrified. They see him walking on the water. They see the, the God of all creation walking across what he created, something that they can't do, and they're terrified. They're struck with fear. But what do we see immediately? In the midst of their fear, look at verse 27. Immediately, we see that word three times in this passage. Immediately, verse 27, when they were terrified, Jesus did what? He spoke to them. He spoke to them. And he said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We see the same thing. We see Jesus' similar response in, in verses 30 and 31. Look at 30 and 31. It says, Peter, he, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. This is when he's out. He's walking on the water. And in that moment, he looks and he sees around him. He is afraid in that moment. And what does Jesus do? We see the same thing. Verse 31, Jesus immediately, immediately reaches out his hand and took hold of him. Took hold of him. In the presence of Christ, fear flees. It dissipates. Believer, we need not fear in the presence of Christ. We need not walk in fear. We need not live in fear. And here's the beauty. The beauty is the reason that we need not live in fear is because we daily walk in the presence of Christ. Because Christ dwells in us. He's assured us. One of the great promises of Scripture is that He will never leave or forsake us. So the call is to be strong and courageous in the Lord. Why? Because He will never leave or forsake you. He is always with us. The Christian never walks alone. So we need not fear. The reality is what? That fear does confront us, doesn't it? We do encounter fear just as the disciples did. For, for them, initially, it's what they saw. They weren't sure what they were seeing. They were rubbing their eyes. 
What is this? Is it a ghost? And they're afraid. They, they see it's Christ and they're, they're struck with fear. They're amazed by the power of God. For us, it's often what we experience can strike fear into our lives, fear into our minds. Perhaps it's the uncertainty of cancer. Maybe it's the brokenness of family. Maybe it's the loss of a job. How will I provide? Maybe it's just the uncertainty of future. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go from here. I don't know what it looks like. All sorts of fears can come upon us. The trials of life can strike fear into us many times, but at other times we, we behold God and we're struck with fear. And I would say rightly so at times because He is a great and mighty God, not a, not a fear that cowers, but a fear that is in awe and reverence of Him and how great and mighty He is. In Matthew, there's, there's four different passages where we're told not to fear. And, and they, they bounce between those two things. There's two that are kind of focused more on the situation at hand. Then there's two, that, this is outside of our text today, there's two others that focus more on just the power of God that, that when the disciples see it, they're just struck with fear. The first one is found in Matthew 1 when, when the, the angel comes and he tells Joseph not to fear taking Mary as his wife. It's a situation that would carry all sorts of difficulties and trials and ridicule and, and baggage perhaps. There's a time of uncertainty. Then what is he told? Do not fear. Don't fear the situation before you. In Matthew 10, 26 to 31, three times there, we're told not to fear. Now, you remember what Matthew 10 is? Hopefully, you may not. It's a refresher. Matthew 10 was the missions narrative, the missions discourse. Not narrative, the missions discourse. It's where Jesus talks about sending. He sends out the disciples, and he talks about what that's going to look like as we go on mission for the Lord. And so the missions discourse three times in there, we're told not to fear persecution. Three times in there, we're, we're told not to fear the situation of those who might come and seek and try to harm us or, or malign us. Do not fear. Do not fear. But what about demonstrations of God's power? You remember, you may not know, you may have read it, Matthew 17. Some of you are familiar with Matthew 17, the transfiguration. And Peter, James, and, and John, they, they are told not to fear. When they get a glimpse of the glory of Christ, they're struck with fear. Jesus says, do not fear. Or what about the resurrection in Matthew 28, 5 to 10, when the, the ladies come upon the empty tomb, the one that they came to grieve and mourn was not there. The power of God strikes fear. What are they told? Do not fear. Do not fear. Fear flees in the presence of Christ. We should see the, this interchange between faith and fear here in this instance. As Peter, when, when he first, you know, Jesus speaks to him and says, immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And so Peter's fear, obviously, is gone. He's, he's then called to faith. He, he then exerts his great faith. And he says, if it's you, command me to come. Jesus says, come. And Peter walks out on the water. He steps out. He shows great faith in that moment. But fear creeps back in, doesn't it? Fear comes back in. 
It's not as though in the presence of having faith in Christ, we never battle fear. It's not as though it just never comes in. It's not as though I would stand before you and say, hey, I'm a man of faith and I never have times when I'm afraid. Never. I I can't say that to you. I can say that I I live by faith. I can say that I I walk by faith in in God and I, I trust Christ. that He is my sure and steady anchor. I can tell you that, but I can also tell you there are times where where fear comes upon me and my faith is challenged and and faith is difficult. But in that moment, it's the presence of Christ that strikes out and casts out fear. There are times when stepping out in faith is absolutely fearful. So it's not as though we say, you know, we're never going to encounter fear. It's just that we know that fear flees in the presence of Christ. And so when fear comes upon me, if I step out in Christ and I walk in Christ, I walk by faith, fear flees. But the important thing to understand that will lead into our third point is that it is not faith that casts out fear. It is Christ that casts out fear. Faith alone does not cast out fear. Faith in Christ Cast out fear. So our, our third point, our third truth here is that faith must be anchored in Jesus. Faith must be anchored in Jesus or it's in vain. It must be anchored in Jesus or it's in vain. In, in 1428, G, uh, Peter shows this confident faith in Christ, con- considering all he has seen. And most recently, just before this happens, what does he see? He sees Jesus feed 5,000 with just some, a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He sees this. He's blown away. He's seen other miracles. And so in in this moment, knowing the the power of the Lord, the healings, the feeding, he he displays great faith. He steps out. His faith is commendable. It's even exemplary. But we would miss the point of the story. We would miss the point of, of the recording of this account in Matthew's Gospel. If we just go and we say, let's have faith like Peter, we would miss it. Because while his faith is exemplary, while his faith is commendable, while his faith is really, in in fact, amazing, the real point is who his faith is in. That's the point. That's what what we truly need to behold. It's not just that he had faith. I mean, Peter could have said, oh, I'm, I just got faith and just walk out and step out in the water an hour before that and he would have just sunk right to the bottom. But his faith was in Christ. So it was not in vain. The power is in Christ. It's not our faith alone. And so the question that, that then comes very apparent when you say, I live by faith or I'm a person of faith is when your worst happens, when your worst comes upon you, some of you, your worst has already come into your life. Whatever it is that you would, you would think this is the worst possible day I could imagine. When that day arrives, where is your faith? Is your faith in Christ? Or do you just have faith in faith? Is, is what you are placing your faith in, is it going to sustain when that day comes? When suffering crashes in, who will you look to? Who will you look to? When the storms of life hit, 
What is your faith truly in? Will it sustain? Peter showed here, we need to see this, that he shows both strong and weak faith in this moment. You see, when he, he steps out, that's a great demonstration of, I would say, wow, <laughs> that is amazing faith. I, I don't know what I would have done. Do you? Have you ever thought about that? What, what would you have done if you, <laughs> you were sitting there, you see this, and, and you're amazed, and you say, Lord, if that's you, you tell me to come on out, and you're kind of like, you know, you know how we are. It's like, yeah, tell me to come on. No, and he's not going to say that, and Jesus goes, okay, come. <laughs> you're like, oh, mm, what would you do? Peter stepped out of the boat. <laughs> Impressive. Impressive. But then, Peter, you, you would think, I don't know, maybe you're not like me, but I'm thinking, Peter, what happened? Like, you're already walking on water. You see Jesus standing there. He comes to him. He's, he's walking. It's not like he just walks, he's there, and then he sinks. The text would lead you to understand that he, walk, he steps out and he walks. And then all of a sudden, he gets worried. You're thinking, Peter, what? Man, come on. What in the world? You have such strong faith. Why are you struggling? His faith got weak all of a sudden. Do you see here, though, that the strength of his faith never determines the power of God? It never determines what Christ does. The size and strength of your faith will not determine God's work and mercy in your life. It's not as though your, your faith enables God to work or confines Him from working. If that's the case, your faith is commanding God. That's problematic, right? That's not the case. On days that your faith is weak, God is God. You haven't done anything to weaken God. And on, on days where your faith is strong, God is God. You haven't done anything to make him stronger, to improve him, to make him more godly. God does not depend on our faith. He does not act dependent on the measure of your faith. He is not sitting on his throne with this kind of faith scale. Going, well, you know, if, if Scott will just exert a little more faith, I'm just waiting for him to exert a little more faith. If he can do that, then I'll really be able to work. We don't confine God by our faith. There will be days when your faith is strong. There will be days when you struggle. Some of you in here have testimony of great moments of faith. We've, we've heard those testimonies, haven't we, of people who are showing great faith that you just shake your head and go, wow, wow. But, but you also, we have testimonies of weak faith. Faith that if we're really honest, we'd rather not talk about where we just struggled. We're kind of embarrassed about. But at the end of the day, it's not about our faith. It's about our God. It's about who is your faith in. Who is your faith in? Faith must be placed in Christ or faith is in vain. It's in vain. It's not about just having faith. It's about having faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. 
The fourth and final truth this morning is that the Christian walks by faith. The Christian walks by faith. It's who we are. We walk by faith. We're not only saved by faith, but we live by faith. Just reminded, just reflecting and thinking about meditating on this passage this week, I was reminded of Paul's words in Galatians 2.20. You know what Paul says there perhaps? He's talking in Galatians 2, starting at 16, 14, 16. He starts talking about the reality that that we're justified by faith alone. We're saved by faith alone. That's what saves us. It's not works. It's not any measure of, of anything that we achieve or do, right? We talk about that a lot. It's faith in Christ alone that saves us. Nothing else at all. It's not faith plus this or faith in addition, faith with. It's faith alone. That, that word alone is very important. When we think about faith alone, Christ alone, God's glory alone, Scripture alone, right? We think about grace alone, all of those those five solas, the five uh, cries of the Reformation, we think about those alone is important, okay? And that's what Paul's driving home in Galatians 2. Faith alone saves. But he gets down to the end of that passage, and he, he talks about that. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's faith alone that saves. But he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says, in the life I live, I live by faith in him. I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Paul says, you're justified by faith. And I've been justified by faith. But I now live by faith. It's not as though I am saved by faith and now I just live this this life focused on just what I can see and what I can make sense of and what I know in Scripture. But I, I live by faith in Christ. And I live by faith in Him alone. That's Paul's testimony. And I think we we see a a key moment here and we we think about and we have a picture of what that looks like. That 14 verse 30 is probably one of the key moments of the narrative when, when Peter looks and he sees the wind. And what is he? He's afraid. Again, we talked about a few moments ago. It kind of makes you shake your head and go, why did that happen? What happens? Because he, he shifts his focus. He, he's, he's no longer looking at the Lord. He no longer has his eyes on the Lord, but he shifts his focus. And it says he saw the wind and he was afraid and he begins to sink. Fear comes in as he looks away. He shifts his gaze away from the Lord. Is the same not true of us? Does the same not happen in our own lives? As long as we walk by faith in the Son of God, as long as we look to Him, as long as we set our gaze upon Him, we run our race focused on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith, as long as we do that, we live by faith. But as soon as we, we're, we're running, we, we look away and we start looking to situations, then our faith becomes very fragile. Fear creeps in. We take our eyes off of Christ, and as soon as we do that, despair, depression comes in, hopelessness. Fear, doubt, they all rush in. Why? Because the situations loom large, larger than our Lord, and and we see those and we're more focused on those things in our life and the thing that comes upon us instead of being focused on Christ. 
and it leads us away. Doubt comes in when we take our eyes off of Christ. Fear comes in when we take our eyes off of Christ. Depression creeps in when we take our eyes off of Christ. Despair comes in when we take our eyes off of Christ. And those things become larger than Christ before us. One valuable lesson we can learn here (laughs) is that we're prone to weak and shifting faith. I mean, (laughs) Peter had Christ right there in front of him again. He's right there. And yet, he looks and becomes afraid and struggles. Even though he's right there in front of him. Oh, how, how prone we are to weak and shifting faith how, faith. how easy it is to find ourselves battling to walk by faith. But again, I would draw you to the truth of the passage that in the midst of this, Jesus never faltered. Jesus never failed. Jesus never ceased to be God. And He will not falter and He will not fail in your life either. In those times where you battle faith and fear and now that you're walking and and you're struggling to keep your eyes set on Christ because of everything that goes on around you, Christ will not change. He will not fail. He is merciful and He is faithful all our days because He's God. He's not going to cease to be who He is. In that moment, when Peter struggles, when Peter fails, what does he do? He cries out to the Lord. And what does Jesus do? Again, He immediately reaches out His hand and takes hold of Him. He doesn't browbeat Peter in this moment. He doesn't tell him, hey, you better increase your faith before I grab you. You get it, show me some more faith. I'm right here. Kind of teasing him, I'm, I'm going to grab you, but you got to have stronger faith. Come on, Peter, stronger faith. No, immediately, he reaches out his hand. He takes hold of Peter. And then he says to him, then he teaches him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's not that he doesn't teach Peter in the moment. It's just that he takes and he rescues Peter first. He's swift to take Peter's hand. And we need to note that. We need to see that. He intervenes. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's able. We find ourselves in similar situations where we battle and we struggle. And we need to know that Christ is indeed able to remove your suffering. He's able. And sometimes He does. Some of you would bear that testimony. That you sought the Lord in prayer and you trusted Him in faith and He removed a remarkable, awful time of suffering. That's not always the case, is it? Sometimes He doesn't remove it at all. But he instead strengthens you through suffering, through difficulty, and he uses that suffering for your good, for his glory. But he is able all the while. I was reminded of Psalm 94, verse 17 and 19. As we struggle through living by faith and the difficulties of life, the psalmist writes, If the Lord had not been my help, 
my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. I've been there. I thought my foot might slip. Trials of life. Faith is hard. But it was Christ and His steadfast love that held me up. And for that I'm grateful. For that I worship Him. And the, the reality is, is some of us in here today are in a situation that you're staring at and it, it just fills you with despair. It fills you with fear. It fills you with hopelessness. These are very real thoughts, very real feelings, very real afflictions that come upon us. And so the question in the midst of that is, who is your faith in? Who are you trusting? Are you trusting yourself? Are you trusting the opinions of men? Or are you trusting Christ? Are you trusting the Son of of God? Are you trusting the one who has power over all things, power over creation, power over every situation? Are you trusting God, the one who has power to save the souls of man? Are you trusting the one who has the actual power to heal you? Are you trusting the one who spoke creation into existence? Can I just remind you of that? That Christ spoke God spoke creation into existence. Are you trusting that one? Are you trusting the one who parted the Red Sea? Are you trusting the one that poured fire from heaven to consume Elijah's water-covered altar? That it burst in flames? Are you trusting the one who, as we've already read, cast out demons? Are you trusting the one who gives sight to the blind, makes the lame to walk? Are you trusting the one that can cleanse the leper? Are you trusting the one that raised Lazarus from the dead? Are you trusting the one that here walks on water? Are you trusting the one who himself raised from the grave? Because Scripture tells us that death was not able to contain him. Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? Money, if you're trusting money, it can't defeat the trials you're going to counter. It can't. Are you trusting money? If you're, if you're trusting your prestige, it can't defend you from every tragedy. It can't defend you from losing your reputation. If you're trusting your job, it can't ward away death. Death will come upon you. You're trusting your talents, your abilities. You can't get rid of the trials of life. You can't get rid of those by your talents. Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? See, true hope is found in Christ alone. He is the one who is our sure and steady anchor that we can place faith, confident faith in. And because of that, we worship Him. We worship Him. The same thing that those in the boat did. Look at the end of the text there. Verse 32, when they got into the boat, Jesus and Peter, the wind ceases. You know that the wind did not cease before they got in the boat? I think that's important to note. 
Jesus didn't take Peter's hand and then everything got calm and then it was all good. Jesus took Peter's hand. The wind still kept coming. The trial still kept coming. The difficulty was still there. He doesn't always remove all the difficulties. He walks with us through it. They enter the boat and it says what? Those in the boat worshipped Him. They worshipped Him. They didn't worship Peter. They didn't look and go, Peter, man, that was incredible. Good job. Whoa, we're blown away. Wow, Peter, you're the greatest. No, they worshipped Christ. What had they seen? They had seen Peter's faith, but they also saw Peter's failure. They saw Peter on the ups and downs, the goods and the bads, but they looked and they saw Christ, a consistent picture of His mercy. They saw His power. They saw His faithfulness. They saw His compassion. They saw the fact that He is the Son of God. He is no regular man. And so they did not worship Peter. They worshiped Christ. It's the same. The, the calling here is not to come and worship a church. The calling is not to come and worship anybody that you think, man, this is a respected guy. I can't believe that guy goes to church here. The calling is not to come and to, to worship a pastor or a set of pastors or a team or anything. The call is to worship Jesus Christ. He is God. He is worthy of worship. They didn't worship Peter. Their faith was not in Peter. Their faith was in Christ. So let me ask you those questions again. Are you a person of faith? Are you a person of faith? W would you say, I live by faith? Or have you just fallen into this place where I, I live according to situations around me? They dictate everything. I was saved by faith, but now I just am walking by sight. Or are you living by faith, stepping out, trusting God to do what only God can do? In the face of fear, walking in faith. Are you a person of faith? Do you live by faith? What's the object of your faith? Are you trusting in something that man has made and created? Or are you trusting in the one that made man? Faith, just for faith's sake, is really pretty useless. Put a lot of faith in this piece of wood here and it's not going to get me very far. But faith in Christ alone is never in vain. Never in vain. Where is your faith? Is it in the shifting sands of culture? The shifting ideas of man? Theories? Or is your faith in Christ? The one whose existence is revealed through creation? Whose glory is revealed through Scripture? Is your faith in Christ? Let's pray.